Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series that we began last week called Letters to Friends. In this series, we're walking through Paul's tender letter to his friends in the, th- in the city of Thessalonica. We're going through the letter of 1 Thessalonians. And last week in the opening chapter, we got to see Paul's tenderness, his, his love for these people. We got to hear his heart that's overflowing with thankfulness, recognizing that God has chosen them, God loves them, and that they have responded with this public faith so that others would know God's choice and love as well. Throughout this series, I'm also going to be writing letters to some friends of mine. I've just felt this burden on my heart to write some letters to, to friends locally, some from my past, some that I haven't made contact with in quite some time, just feeling like I can be an encouragement to them. And so last week, I invited you to consider who are you thankful for? Who, when you think of them, you just automatically give thanks to God and what an encouragement you could be to let them know that. Who have you seen their faith? Their, maybe it's their public faith, a faith that has endured maybe in times of suffering. And so if you wrote, didn't write a letter last week, go ahead and write one this week. Because we really can learn from Paul about how we can be an encouragement and a blessing to so many others through letters to friends. And I was thinking about letters and thinking about the, the rest of this series. My mind this week started going to those Dear Abby columns. You know what I'm talking about? Where people would write a letter to Abby expressing some situation or challenge they're going through and ask for advice. And Abby would write a letter back, which would be published in newspapers. And now they're published online. And, and I found this article that I was reading through. And it, it just made me think about a, a Dear Abby letter. And so I kind of put it into that kind of form. Dear Abby. I want to leave my family business, but if I leave, who will I be? A great deal of my adult self-image has been formed there. I'm worried about what my wife will think if the money suddenly disappears and I can no longer provide for our family. I'm worried about what my friends will think if I have to sell our vacation home. I'm worried about disappointing my father who started the business on his own effort and dreams of passing it to me someday. What should I do? And this is just an example of the types of situations that people would write in about. Types of situations, actually, that I think we face all the time. Maybe it's not these exact details, but these situations where we're facing decisions, we're facing internal struggle, we're facing situations that have this interconnected web of relationships, and we might feel, well, trapped, struggling, stuck, unsure, worried. And so if you received this letter, what advice would you give to your friend? What letter would you write back in response? How would you guide them? And and Paul's not trying to address this exact situation in in what we're going to read this morning, but in the passage we're going to read, he gives some incredible insight that we can apply to this and all of those other situations where we face these webs of relationships and uncertainty about how to move forward. And so we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you'd like to follow along on the screen, you can. But this is God's word for us this morning. You know, brothers and sisters, 
that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people, the same things those, those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into his word together. Heavenly Father, you know the situations we are in this morning. You know the webs of relationships that are in our hearts and minds as we consider how to navigate life. This morning, may you give us insight, give us guidance, wisdom to know how to move forward, Lord, so that we can be the people you've made us to be. We can live out your calling on our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we get a glimpse of Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. Actually, he says, we dared to tell you his, the gospel of God in the face of strong opposition. And actually, he mentions that the opposition started before he even arrived in town. He mentions that when they were in Philippi, just before coming to Thessalonica, they had been run out of town. And so that's what caused them to travel to Thessalonica in the first place. And then word went back to the people in Philippi that Paul was up to his old ways, that he was sharing this gospel and that people were coming to believe in Jesus. And so the people came from Philippi to stir things up. And in fact, they did to the point that Paul was run out of town again. And so there was this strong opposition. And we talked some last week about why, but for today's purposes, we want to reflect on the reality that Paul's saying, yeah, there was incredible opposition, but we didn't care. We dared to share the gospel with you anyway. How did he do it? I think the reality is we find in here that Paul leans into the approval of God where he says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. He's not trying to please people. 
Some of us just need to hear that like on repeat, not trying to please people. Because many of us, like the quote, this quote that I found from the, the Roman Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius, 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, he said this, we all love ourselves more than other people. I mean, he's just being honest. We all kind of tend to love ourselves pretty well. But, he says, we care more about their opinion than our own. He's, he's acknowledging that we may love ourselves incredibly, but many of our opinions of ourselves are shaped by other people's opinions more than our own. You know, and, and the reality is most of us don't care about everyone's opinions. We know that we can't function that way, right? If we're trying to please everyone all the time, we know it leads to total paralysis. In fact, that, there are, that is a condition that is diagnosable. And if you struggle, have ever struggled with that, you know it is totally debilitating because you can't make a decision. You can't move this way or that way because you know everybody's got an opinion and you can't please everybody all at the same time. With that. You're just going to disappoint someone. And so we may not care about everyone's opinion, but we all tend to care about some people's opinion. And to some extent, that's good. You know, because we should be conscientious of being offensive and hurtful to the people around us. But Paul, I think, in this passage is giving us an example and a warning not to become captive to other people's opinions, even those people that care about you and that you care about. In this passage, he's clear he cares about them, but he's also making it abundantly clear that I wasn't trying to please you or anyone else. All I was trying to do was please God. And in this, he's comparing himself you know, implicitly to all of these other traveling teachers and philosophers that would go all around the Roman Empire and the Greek world at this time where, where they would go into town, this was really common, they'd go and they'd set up shop in town and they'd gather these crowds and they'd share with them their opinions and their ideas and their thoughts and it could be an, a really lucrative way of life. And like many lucrative ways of life, it attracted all sorts of people some of whom were seedy. Paul says some of them had impure motives. Some of them had error. They weren't teaching the truth at all. But that didn't really matter because their, their career was not based on pre teaching the truth. They would, they would please the crowds. They would wow them with these beautiful orations. They would tickle their ears, right? And they, the people would come away from it singing their praises. Oh, and giving them their money because that was what it was all about. And Paul's trying to make it clear, I wasn't just like any one of those others that were traveling around, passing through, building themselves up, puffing up their pride, their fame. I wasn't trying to please people. I wasn't looking around for their approval. He says, I didn't use flattery. As a matter of fact, Paul was probably very offensive. You know, if you, if you read Paul enough, you probably have been offended by Paul. You know, he's kind of like, I've heard it said of Mel Brooks, the director, if you've seen Mel Brooks movies, if you watch enough Mel Brooks movies, he is an equal opportunity offender. Everyone at some point will be offended if you watch his movies long enough. And so Paul is an equal opportunity offender. He's not seeking the approval of people or seeking their praise. Instead, he's seeking to please God and God alone. He's not seeking financial gain through them. He says, I worked day and night. He was either a tent maker or he worked with leather goods and garments. And this was not a lucrative way of life, but it provided enough for him so that he could say to them, I was not a burden to you or to anyone. I worked hard. I earned my money, not by what I said or pleasing people, tickling their ears. Instead, by my, the work of my hands. And I certainly wasn't seeking 
fame and glory and honor and approval from you. And as we lean into what Paul is, is demonstrating here and we start thinking about the original question, what advice would you give the man who, who is terrified to leave his family business? Because he's worried about his wife's opinion, his friend's opinions, his parents, his family's opinions. And he's not inappropriately worried on one hand because these are people he cares about. He knows that his decision will have an impact on them. What advice would you give? I think very common advice that we give, I know I've given to people in similar stuck kind of situations, is, is don't worry about what they think in their opinion. You don't need to please them. But man, some of us live there all the time. Some of us feel that constant pressure that pressure of parents' expectations, whether they're with you still or not. Feel the pressure of friends, the need to act a certain way, look a certain way, do certain things. Maybe looking over your shoulder anytime you make a significant decision, wondering, okay, it, what's other, what is everybody going to think? I don't want to disappoint. Some of you may be thinking, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to please anyone. And that's great if that's where you are. But let's just lean in a little bit this morning and try to have an honest check-in and figure out maybe do we have some of these tendencies to try to please people rather than God? I mean, have you ever changed yourself in response to someone's criticism? And I'm not talking about the kind of criticism because there's moral failure or because you're being offensive or hurtful to yourself or to other people. I'm talking about because someone had an opinion that the way you looked, the way you sounded was strange, that something you're interested in is weird. You ever let other people make decisions for you? Just terrified to decide where to go for dinner because you might get it wrong. I regularly meet with, with folks who struggle to, in the midst uh, of stressful situations, struggle to set and enforce a boundary. And, and all that means is to decide what is acceptable about the way people will or will not treat you. But the struggle is it can be dangerous. Because the boundary you set may ask someone in your life to make a change. And if you need their approval and they may not like having to change for you, it's dangerous. Are you a perfectionist? The pursuit of excellence is, is good. And, and it, it is beautiful in and of itself, but is that why you obsess over perfecting things? Or is it because perhaps... You're afraid that if you aren't perfect in this way or that, the people that you want to like you, want to respect you, will no longer think that you're perfect and will no longer think you're worth it. Do you ever hold your opinion, hold your tongue when you think differently than everyone else? And we learn and we try to teach our children this when they're young, right? To stand up. To stand up when things are being said or done that shouldn't be said or shouldn't be done. And if you have a different perspective... But how often is silence the normal pattern in our lives? How often do we hear stories, stories of abuse, of bullying, of oppression that could have been avoided if someone had just stood up and said something and yet silence is the norm? Is your general peace of mind dependent on, on just no one having anything against you, all of your relationships being in order, in order for you to be able to sleep at night. And, you know, so if they're not, you find yourself in bed thinking over all of the conversations of the day, what you should or you shouldn't have said over what you should or shouldn't have done. You probably know someone who's constantly apologizing. They may have apologized because it was cold this week, 
right? They, they are constantly apologizing when it's clearly not their fault, and yet they're willing to take on the responsibility inappropriately because they don't want the people in their life to be upset. Yep, it was windy today. Sorry about that. And I know it's ridiculous. I know those are silly examples, but there's a lot less silly examples that happen all the time. Where if you just need to keep the peace with people in your life, you may take responsibility for things that you have no business taking responsibility for, and that may be because you're trying to please people. Or maybe just the simple one that's so common, you rarely say no. The default way of being that says yes, it can be beautiful because it can show a heart to love, a heart to serve, a heart to help, which is good. But when it becomes compulsive to the point that you can't say no, because if you say no, then somehow you're no longer you, then it's a problem. Because you feel the compulsion. You always have to help. You always have to fix. You always have to take it on. Have you, have you seen the, the new Disney movie Encanto? So I, I'll just acknowledge to you that I haven't actually seen it. But I have and know every single song and they're constantly going through my mind because they are on repeat at my house all the time. And so what I've gathered from these songs is that part of the theme here is that there are these, these daughters and two of the daughters in particular are struggling with the reality of the expectations and pleasing the family. And in one of those songs, you get one of these daughters who she's the strong one and in this song, it's called Surface Pressure. And it's all about how she feels this incredible pressure to be the one in the family that carries everything, that carries every burden, that fixes every problem, that holds all the stuff that no one else can hold. And what if she can't hold it up? What if she says no? And so she says, under the surface, I'm pretty sure I'm worthless if I can't be of service. It's too much. Trying to please people all the time. What do we do? What do you do if you're consumed with this people-pleasing tendency? How do you get out of this? I was trying to, to look and figure out how do most people try to do this? And so I was searching and found this from a guy named Arthur Brooks. He's a professor of public leadership at Harvard Business School. And so he's coaching folks who are in public leadership where there's lots of people, lots of opinions. And, and he says this, commenting about how to help people overcome this tendency to people-please. And he quotes first from Lao Tzu, who says, Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. That takes us back to what Marcus Aurelius had said earlier. If we care about people's approval, and you'll be their prisoner, but then he layers on his own thought. He says, disregard what others think, and the prison door will swing open. If you're stuck in the prison of shame and judgment, remember that you hold the key to your own freedom. He's saying, he's saying what we all know. That to be constantly obsessed with other people's opinions and what they think of us and their approval is a prison that holds us captive. But then he says, think of it this way. A prison has doors. But how do you get out of the prison? Well, you disregard what people think. That's how you get out. Well, how do you do that? How do you just start disregarding what people think? You know, and, and, and when you keep digging into this, I mean, it kind of begins with an acceptance that everybody has an opinion. That you've got to then develop your own sense of self-worth and self-confidence. And so you determine your own values, what, what makes you unique, the things that make you happy, the gifts that you have, and you try to build on those. And, you know, it's just, it sounds easy. Just disregard what people think, right? But if you've had a lifetime of trying to please people, trying to get their approval, man, it's hard to undo that, isn't it? It's hard to just build that self-confidence 
And and even self-confidence is problematic because the way self-confidence is also often built is that, okay, we, we look at ourselves, but then we look at other people and we start doing that comparison thing and we start going, okay, I'm pretty good at this. Oh man, but they're better. I'm, pr- I'm pretty organized. Oh man, look at, look at that. It's incredible. Every paperclip has its place. You know, I, I'm pretty good looking. Whoa, no, I'm not good looking at all. I've got some money. Well, they've got a lot of money. We start doing that, that comparison thing. And so if we're building our confidence, it's often on this really shaky ground. And so to be, to, to free, be people who are free from the, this obsession with other people's opinions, we have to have some other foundation. But if it's built on our own self-confidence, man, it's challenging. Because what if? What if I'm not very good at anything? What if I'm not very attractive? What if I'm kind of clumsy, kind of dopey? I tend to say, say things that are inappropriate at the wrong time and I'm a little bit awkward. Where does that leave us? With no self-confidence. Right? And I know some of you right now are, are like, I don't relate to this at all. Because some of you have not cared about what people think for like 30 years. Maybe more. You're like, yeah, I, I, don't, really, I don't really care at all. And, and maybe you have a few people in your life that you care about who are in that most inner circle that, you know, okay, yeah, their opinion, it matters. These, these close, close, close friends and family. But here's the amazing thing that I find from Paul in this passage that challenges our way of overcoming this tendency to please people. Because Paul doesn't care at all what they think, but he clearly cares deeply about them. Did you see the images he uses? He says, I I cared for you like a nursing mother. I nurtured you. I loved you. I tended to you like a father encouraging you, comforting you, urging you to live the life that's worthy of God and his kingdom. See, Paul doesn't care at all about what they think of him, but he cares incredibly about them. And when we don't care about what people think about us, we tend to not care about the people themselves. We tend to not care about them or their well-being. We throw out with their opinion them completely. Because it's difficult. It's difficult to harden ourselves to the opinions and the thoughts and the perspectives of other people without hardening ourselves to them completely. And so if you find yourself there, not caring about anybody else's opinion, you may also have found yourself having a series of burned relationships in your life. You may have found yourself where you learned not just to not care about their opinion, but you learned not to care about them at all particularly with those who are difficult, those who have an opinion of you that's not favorable, those who you disagree with, those who you argue with, those who don't like you, those who have slandered you, spread, spread, spread lies about you. And when I look at our nation right now, I see an incredible amount of this. I see an incredible amount of, I don't care what you think, I don't care about your opinion, oh, and guess what, I don't care about you either. And this is no way for a people that's to be a united people. It was no way for, for Paul saying to this church, you, there's no way to live united in that way. It's to not care about what they think of you because you're so focused on pleasing God, but to care about them intensely. It's how Jesus says, hey, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Really, Jesus? Come on. I just, I want to love those people who like me, who approve of me, who think like me, whose opinion of me is favorable. I have to approve, I have to love those who would attack me, who would harm me, who would slander me, who are just really idiotic in their opinion. Man, how do we do it? 
How can we not care what people think and still remain tender as Paul has to, to people around us? And I think we get the glimpses of it in this passage where Paul is saying, hey, you became imitators of these churches all throughout the world that these, and these churches were imitators of Jesus because we know Jesus, he came He came and offered his life, laid his life down on behalf of those who were rejecting him. He laid his life down on behalf of those who hated him. Did he not love and care desperately for those who didn't approve of him? Absolutely. And Paul's saying, I'm an imitator of that and you're an imitator of me. And Paul leans into the reality that he is approved by God, the God who tests our hearts. And when God tests our hearts, what's he going to find in this regard? When God tests your heart, is he going to find a tendency to seek to only please him, to live completely devoted and loyal to him? Or is he going to find people, you really actually don't care about God's opinion nearly as much as you care about the other people in your life? Or is he going to find a people who have become hardened to the people around us? Who become, yeah, I don't care about their opinion and I don't care much about them. See, that's where Paul was. Paul had been persecuting the Christian church. He was a zealous Jew, and he was seeking out to murder the followers of Jesus. Talk about being hardened. Talk about not caring about their opinion of who the Messiah was, and talk about carrying out to the extreme. So Paul knows when God tests his heart, when he tests our hearts, he's going to find that we have a tendency not truly to please God, and we have a tendency not to love those in our lives who are, are hard to love, that we cut them off with their opinion. But Paul also knows that when God looks at him, he sees one that is approved. Not one who has to prove, but one who is already approved. One who already has the approval of God. One who already has the pleasure of God. Because when God looks at Paul, he doesn't see his hardness of heart that carried out the murders murders of the earliest Christians. He sees Jesus and Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' perfection, Jesus' goodness. So Paul doesn't need to please anyone else because God know, he knows that God is already pleased with him. And so he leans in and makes his life no longer about trying to, to have anybody else's opinion matter, but simply to please the God who is already pleased with him. And talk about a relief and a joy and changes everything. See, when you come to God through Jesus Christ, do you know that when God looks at you, he's pleased with you? Do you know that you don't have to do anything else to seek his pleasure or the pleasure of anyone else? See, when you live in light of this pleasure that God has when he looks at you, it frees you. You don't need anybody else's opinion. And if you're not convinced that he is pleased with you, it was his desire to be pleased with you such that he gave you Jesus. Even though your heart, when it's tested, is not worthy, even though you haven't been proven, you haven't proven to be worthy of it, he has approved of you because of what Jesus did in your place. But it also means that we're not better than anybody else. I'm not above anyone else, even those people whose opinions I can't stand. Before God, I am just as in need of a Savior as they are. And perhaps I can have a compassion and a tenderness when they're living to please so many others and not to please the God who wants to be pleased with them. If you need to be free from the tyranny, the captivity, the prison of pleasing other people, lean into this good news of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ 
Because when he looks at you, he's pleased because he sees the perfection and beauty of Jesus. Receive his pleasure. So you don't have to go please anybody else. You don't have to care about their opinion, but you can care about them deeply. And you can, even in the face of strong opposition, love them well to the point that you'll even share the gospel, the hope that they don't have to live to please anyone else either. Let's pray. Lord God, we, when we look at our lives, we do see there is these patterns, these tendencies of how to live in relationship with one another, these tendencies to either seek the approval of, of those around us or to cut them off, to become hardened to them. And yet we see in you and we see in Paul a different way of being that doesn't need the approval of people and yet deeply loves them to the point of willingly risking and even sacrificing your life. Lord God, may we experience your pleasure. May we stop trying to please others and even stop trying to please you because we can't do it. May that not be the basis of our value and our worth, but may it be what God, you've done for us through Jesus Christ. May we experience your pleasure washing over us, filling us, freeing us from the captivity to others, and freeing us to love, love well, love even those who are difficult to care for. Lord God, may we be a people that loves as you have loved. In Jesus' name, amen.